all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Our goal at Everyday Tech is to keep your technology not only working, but working for you. I'm the host, Abram Nanny, and you can join me and my friends Wednesday mornings at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Or search Everyday Tech on your favorite podcasting app or download the MPB Public Media app. And thanks for being with us today. I am Dr. Susan Buttress. I'm a developmental behavioral pediatrician, professor of pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and here for you today. So today we're talking about a topic that that I find very interesting, and I hope you will. Last week, as we were doing our show on artificial intelligence, and we were talking about how much environment influences those of us, um, and how maybe AI could even affect the way our children end up, Uh, We had a caller who brought up the nature versus nurture, and I thought it would be a great topic for us to expand on today. So you've, you've likely heard the debate around nature and nurture. It's really an age old question. You know, how much do do our genes, our genetic makeup, the DNA that we receive from our biologic parents Um, How much do they influence who we become? And so we know that that identical twins are are very often very, very similar in many ways, especially in looks, but sometimes not as similar as you would think with the exact same genetic makeup. Right. Um, We also know that there are times that we have. Siblings who were raised in the same home, in the same environment, who turn out quite differently than, than we did, right? So it's, it's complicated. And, and today I want to talk about how influences can affect who we are, who we become, how genetics certainly have some bearing, no question about that. But... You know, as we're moving forward, uh, I think all of you likely have some some thoughts about this and questions. So, so good morning, Abram. Good to have you back with us today. Yeah, good morning, Doctor Butchers. I was I was out last week, and I still feel like I've got that vacation brain going. So I'm going to help as much as I can. So we'll see. <laughs> I know how that goes, though. When you're out for a week. What happens when you get back? I that pile on. I'm experiencing it right now. A little pile on, yeah, yeah, a little bit. But anyway, we won't work you too hard today because I think it's going to be kind of a fun, 
fun discussion and 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 maybe hopefully a thoughtful discussion. So let's get all the way down to what we're talking about. Nature refers to the biological and genetic predispositions that we have that contribute to our traits, okay? And I'm talking particularly about genetics. And by the way, there has been a movement um, forward to talk about instead of nature and nurture, to talk about it in genetics and environmental terminology. I I think it's somewhat similar. Um, And I think we have to keep in mind what we mean by environmental. Well, nature versus nurture is such a good tagline, though. It is. It it rolls off your tongue. It does. It's it's better than genetics of it and the environmental factors that are current, <laughs> right? And so we can we can talk about it that way. And and uh, as as we're moving along, I want everybody to think about this. Now we think that you know the baby the the fetus so to speak in utero in the womb um is is uh, an individual right who has been created by just the genes that he or she is are given okay and but that's not completely true because think about the environment within the womb Right. So what's a mother eating, drinking, um, biologic mother eating and drinking? um, What is she doing? Is she being stressed? Is she um, on medication? Um, Is there violence in the home? I could keep going. But don't forget that there is an environment in the womb, too, and not just genes that are there forming that baby. And if anybody thinks differently, they're wrong because there's good evidence that that, that environment within the womb um, is already affecting that individual. It's kind of scary, right? Um, but you've heard me talk about, of course, alcohol and smoking during pregnancy. If you've listened to some of the shows about what we're doing to our kids, um, that, but, but also the stressors, you know, there's a big movement now to read to your baby in utero and how maybe that can influence. Yeah. I've heard, you know, like the, the type of imagination can be interest but also like the tone of voice can really impact uh the baby's like stress levels and stuff right right and so the way as i was working on this show i started thinking about it and and you know now when a child comes out they are born essentially with a palette that has been created if you think about it as a painter's palette and then how that how that paint gets down on the canvas, um, how that picture of life is painted is is how what I want to talk about today. We can go go back into the the fetal environment um, and talk about that if you'd like. But I also want to talk about um, the the outcome once outside and why some of us end up so differently than others when you would think we'd end up the same. We know that genetics 
eye color, hair color, height, face shape, arm length, finger length, all of that is set, right? It really is, essentially. Now, um, diet can affect some of the growth issues, but essentially that's all set, done. We can't change those things. But there's clear evidence from years of research that mental, emotional health and success outcomes can be changed and can be different depending on what's going on and what's happening. So that's kind of the stage I wanted to set with what we're going to talk about today. And we have an early caller, so let's go on to the phones before our first break. We have Trish in Hattiesburg. Hi, Trish. Thanks for calling. Yes, good morning. I was just real interested. I'm interested in epigenetics, you know, changing the expression of your genes. Yes. Through your environment, exercise, nutrition, all that. Yes. And I was wondering what your thoughts. You know, with depressed people, if you can get them outside in the sun and get them moving, they'll get better. So what about these other traits? Yeah. Um, Epigenetics is a, a really interesting topic and that's essentially what we're talking about today is is what so we are so for example identical twins are born with exactly the same dna okay exactly the same they are a fertilized egg that splits um and becomes two individuals period and so why in the world um, are sometimes identical twins different? Well, we know that the heritability out there is not, if you're looking at heritability, meaning what you inherited, um, that it's, it's about between on a scale of one, uh, zero to one, uh, full heritability, everything that your genes gave you is at one. The heritability in identical twins is 0.6. And in fraternal pr- twins, which is like just two separate fertilized eggs um, that grow into human beings, like your siblings, essentially, fraternal twins are like siblings. That's about 0.3. So there's something else going on out there, okay? And some of it is what you mentioned, Trish, is is um, the fact that sometimes genes are not turned on. Um, there's a lionization process that's been defined. And please know I am not a geneticist, and genetics has accelerated so rapidly that it's hard to keep up with. But I will say that that you are correct in that sometimes genes um, can be turned on through stressors. Sometimes they can be turned off through the right kind of environment or turned off through the wrong kind of environment. So everything that we are born with is not always expressed. And that is what we call that epigenetics piece, that that our environment can really affect us. And by environment, I mean people, I mean toxins, I mean nutrition, as you mentioned, all of that can can um, can be affected. And so you're bringing up something that 
that is really important for us to remember. And there, and later on in the show, I can bring up some of the studies that have have looked even at at cognition and intelligence. And we know that all of our intelligence doesn't just come from genetics. Some of it comes from surroundings, too. But some of it does. And so we can't say genes don't mean anything. Um, is that enough, leaving the door open for us to talk about? I don't know. Trish, did that help a little bit? Yes, that's good. That's very good. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, thanks for starting that conversation off because I think that's an important piece. Thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Abram Nanny, my producer, and we're talking about nurture and nature. And actually, that debate has roots that go back thousands of years, all the way back to ancient Greek theorizing about the causes of personality. Um, But the phrase nurture versus nature comes from an English scientist, Francis Galton, back in 1874. So he he talked about the... um, science of men. And he argued that inherited factors, inherited factors, were responsible for intelligence and other characteristics. So he he thought nature had very little to do with it. And you were born with what you were born with. Well, now we know that's not true. Um, that it's much more complicated than that. And so... What happens to us afterwards can certainly have a big bearing on us. And that's what we're talking about today. So let's go back to the phones. We have Kay and Madison um, with a question about twin genetics, maybe, or genetics in general, Kay. No, it's really a comment. How are you doing? Great. Um, Well, what I wanted to say, and not to make it a long story, but um, I have a friend of mine who uh, grew up apart from her family. She... Uh, lived in Mississippi, and the rest of her family lived in another state. Mm-hmm. So in her mid-50s, she met her siblings for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. And then later on, years later, I met said siblings as well. And the similarities in their mannerisms, specifically one of her sisters, the way she even would hold her hand or speak, the inflection in her voice, even the way she walked or the way she even slung her purse across her shoulder was so strikingly similar, almost identical, that we and my, my children and I were baffled at how similar they were, mm-hmm. and they had only met each other in their 50s. Um, I, you know, I don't know about, you know, more than that, but just their mannerisms and even the way she held her head when she talked and laughed was so amazing to see how much they were alike even though they had never met for so long. And I was, I, that piqued my interest in genetics and, and made me start paying more attention to the things that my children did and how they did. So that was just a comment. I didn't really have a question. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen that personally also when um, two siblings were separated and then meet back together and and the amazing physical similarities and, and even um, speech and, and mannerisms. 
So we know that that some of that is inherited. Now, the question that that came to mind, you know, did both individuals have good positive surroundings? Did her siblings have similar upbringing and and similar positive experiences? Do you know that? If her they both had, um, I know in this case of the um, person that was living here in Mississippi, she had a wonderful childhood, mm-hmm. wonderful parents. Um, you know, just circumstances had them living apart, but uh, everyone, you know, was well around and no trauma, major trauma or anything. But we were we were so in awe and how similar mm-hmm. they were that we laughed most of the time. They thought we were laughing at the conversation, but I was laughing at how alike they were. Um, you know, never having met each other. Yeah, yeah. Genetics, that that DNA that that we are given sometimes can really mark us hard. I mean, I I will say um, from a family of eight, I have seven siblings and they're they're five girls and uh, five sisters of mine, six girls and two boys. And the the girls always uh, receive comments, the women now, that we talk alike, we laugh alike, we are very similar. And um, and it's it's true, I guess. But when we look at each other, we think we're so different because there are nuances. But when you look at the big picture of an individual, many times what you see are the similarities instead of the differences, uh, especially if you're looking at it in a in a positive way. So keep in mind, I said that we're we're looking at when we're looking at similarities on that scale of of zero to one, about point three percent of the time or thirty three percent of the time, they're they're similar. Um, that that expression is is similar, and so not a surprise. But always so terribly interesting. Now, what happens to those same individuals, those siblings or twins or whatever, when one is in a loving and nurturing environment and and another is in a toxic, stressful environment, that chronic stress? I'm not talking about one one issue, but where stress is chronic, there is evidence that the outcome will be very different. And I wonder if listeners out there have have seen that happen, where, um, you know, one, one individual grew up that was related or perhaps a twin in, in a chronically stressful environment and the other did not. Was, was there a big difference in the outcome. Now, you know, I don't know, Kay, did did you have any further comments before I move on? Oh, I believe Kay hung up. So, um, but her point is, is a good one that we know genetics has some bearing, no question about it. No matter how much we want to say, oh, you know, that that individual had, had, two parents who did not have good genetics, but we can make it all go away by a positive environment. Not you can't make it all go away. But what you can do is have the best possible outcome 
as as you're you're moving along. So, you know, everything um, at least is a little bit heritable, um, like we were talking about. And and but those unique environments play a role. So let me talk a little bit more as we're moving along about twins and why we can speak with authority that everything is not just genetics. I kind of brushed over it a minute ago, but let me come back to it. You know, twins come in two different types, identical and fraternal. Um, Identical meaning they come from one egg, okay? Identical, a single sperm fertilizing a single egg egg okay so it makes that fertilized egg is called a zygote and and then it splits through magic (laughs) without going into anything else it splits and then it grows into two identical individuals so the same exact genes on both sides fraternal or dizygotic two different eggs that are fertilized at the same time by two different sperm. So two different zygotes that grow into little beings, okay? So really no fraternal twins, and you probably, those of you who know fraternal twins, are no more closely genetically related than a pair of full siblings, right? So they average um, about 50% of the DNA, Um you know, whenever you have a sibling, typically you have about 50% of the DNA that one of your full siblings has, okay? So um, the the only thing that is more, um, um, when, when twins are raised together, we now can, can look at it very straightforwardly to see how similar identical twins are than, um, than their siblings or how similar identical twins are from their fraternal twins. And so that's where that heritability um, has come from. Thousands of studies have looked at what what we are, what the gene expression is, and and how it comes out. And that's where that point three um, heritability are thirty percent of similarities between fraternal twins and sixty percent of similarities between identical twins. Now, I'm not talking about just delete anything that I just said as far as, as um, mostly, as far as hair color goes, height, weight, um, you know, length of fingers and all that. And uh, those physical similarities pretty much are expressed. It's all the other stuff that we're talking about as, as far as intelligence, mood, um, you know, voice quality, those kinds of things can can be um, very different. And so I know that's getting into the weeds a little bit, but I thought it would be good to go through that so that you can understand um, 
Now, there are some things that I wanted to bring out that are pretty highly inherited, have a really strong heritability rate. Schizophrenia and autism are two of those that um, it seems that expression is much higher, maybe upwards of 0.8. And so... I think as we're talking through it, is it always luck of the draw? No, it's just the way things are inherited. And and sometimes, you know, that that if you have um if you had inherited that that um place on your genes for a schizophrenia the the risk is a bit higher, and and you know the good news is it's also better treatable now than it was. So, I think if that all makes sense, as we're moving along, I'd love from to hear from you about your thoughts on the the epigenetics um, and how that relates to nurture versus nature. What what have you seen differently? I, I will say that I mentioned earlier that I was raised in a a household with um, with eight. But as we were talking before the show, one of our interns, Miriam, brought up the fact that well, you know, what about birth order? You can be raised in the same family and still be raised a little bit differently depending on your birth order. And I am certain that is true. Thanks for being with us today on this show. We are talking about nurture versus nature and how much our genetics is affected by our environment. And as it turns out, it can be fairly significantly affected um, depending on on the the opportunities you've had the surroundings that you've had the the love and nurturing that you've had um, certainly can affect you uh, but there are other things too um, in our environment then that can affect us toxins is one as we move through life um, but we do know that the the environmental influences that affect us can more profoundly affect that outcome of that picture that of the palette that we're given um, can more profoundly affect it in the first years of life. So there is some evidence that has shown that you know what happens as far as our expression of even intelligence um, is more profoundly affected in, say, that birth to eight or nine-year-old than it is after that. Because when we become older teenagers, we are better able to control our environment. We can determine what we want to be exposed to. And so, you know, then our home environment tends to influence us less. Okay. So with that said, let's go back to the phones. We have Jerry in Bay Springs with some comments about genetics. Hi, Jerry. Hey, how you doing? Doing well. Thanks for calling. Sure. 
when you said that the field of genetics had changed a lot recently, you said a mouthful. Mm. <clears throat> I'm uh, I'm in my 70s, so my knowledge of it was pretty ancient until I read up recently on some things like uh, uh, brothers and sisters don't just share 25% of their DNA. That's uh, the average. They share a range of DNA. Right. So uh, that's how they can can look so different and be so different. Uh, also, that uh, it seems that uh, boys get more DNA from their mothers than girls do, which threw me for a loop. Mm. But uh, one of the most... Uh, puzzling or interesting things that that i've read lately is that the younger boys in families tend to be gay or bisexual and i have seen this in my own family and i have uh, cousins there were seven in the family uh four boys and the two youngest boys are as gay as they can be and uh in my own family with uh four kids in the in the thing i was the oldest and my brother was the youngest and he's bisexual so this apparently doesn't apply to girls uh for some reason so i just uh wanted to put that out in front of you and see if you had any comments on it jerry interesting um that you bring some things up now okay I have seen no evidence of um, individuals who are homosexual being more commonly younger individuals in the family. And so I cannot comment on that. I've not seen anything about that. I think there's probably there's so many other issues out there. Um, but I am a believer that that homosexuality typically is uh, one of those biologic genetic predestined um, things that is real it's not something that typically happens from environmental exposure at all that's one thing now your comment about boys um, inheriting more DNA um, are genes from the mother than the father. I don't believe that's correct at all. What we do know, though, is boys have an X and a Y chromosome, right? And so um, typically, um, so that's a mother is, uh, women are, XX and men are XY. And so so typically, if there is, um, there are some genetic disorders, some inheritance traits, etc., that are on the X chromosome. And so if a male inherits, since men inherit just one X chromosome, then the expression of that may be more profound. For example, um, in a genetic disorder called Fragile X syndrome, um, males, though women can have Fragile X, um, men typically, uh, because of their one X chromosome, 
tend to be affected more um, by fragile X, um, which can cause learning problems or other issues. And so uh, that's a that's a roundabout way to say that you typically inherit 50% of your genes from your mother, 50% from your father. It's it's split down the middle. And so now there is so much. I did say a mouthful when I said genetics is changing literally by the day. And um, and I, I, I have a, a friend who I recently talked to who is a geneticist, and, and um, we were talking through some of the amazing things that are going on right now. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll probably learn more and more as we're moving along and, and um, hopefully gain even better knowledge. And, and like I said, Jerry, I am certainly not a geneticist. Things have changed a lot trying to keep up, but it's very difficult when there are other things in medicine to keep up with, too. Um, but hopefully I, I helped you a little bit in that. The the homosexuality piece, I honestly, um, I'll have to go back and look, but I have not seen anything at all about that. And um, and so I would, would have to check you on that one. Okay? But thanks for calling. Okay, well, let's stay on the phones. We have... Bob in um, Hattiesburg, and a question. This sounds like a little bit of a diversion, but maybe it it's the it's along similar road of environment, huh, Bob? Why don't you tell us what your question is? I I had trouble hearing the call screener, but actually, I got a two part, two different uh, questions. Okay. Uh, what? Why is some people like a pathological liar? They rather lie than tell the truth, you know, for things that are factual and both people know what's the truth about it, but mm-hmm. they'll lie. And another question, I'm going to hang up and listen on the radio, but okay. what what would you talk about schizophrenia? Is there two different uh, degrees of that? And how can you determine uh, somebody is a schizophrenic? And I'm going to hang up and listen. Thanks for taking my call. Okay, Bob. Two big questions. Um, (coughs) Pardon me. Two big questions. Um, So I'll take the pathologic liar first. Uh, Because that's, you know... That is such an interesting topic because, as you mentioned, there are definitely individuals out there who just seem more prone than others to to not just stretch the truth but to fabricate um, things. And even when the truth may even be better, sometimes individuals will fabricate stories. Uh, we we had a caller uh, a few weeks ago who brought up the fact that sometimes individuals will um, will even embellish things that that you know if there if you have a story somebody always wants to come back with a story that's bigger and better and so many times that's when we were talking about being a good conversationalist and having good listening skills there's some people who just don't know how to do that 
Okay, but back to the lying piece. I would think that some of that must come from environment and perhaps your need to um, highlight who you are or to improve who you are. Perhaps it was an attention-seeking way. Um, The other thing that I tell parents often when they get concerned about why their child just lied about something, um, many times children lie to be um, somewhat protect themselves. Um, You know, it's a protective stance. So that if you say, um, did you do so-and-so? The with a tone in your voice that you know if you did it then you're in trouble then why not say no um, so so the immediate impulse is to turn around and say well I didn't do that um, or to blame someone else or to turn to someone else um, there are many reasons that people lie sometimes they lie to not hurt uh, other individuals feelings But when it's just something that people are creating um, as a storyline that everybody in the room pretty much knows is not real, that that typically is is an individual who is, in my mind, um, someone who is is trying to create a stage for themselves. And perhaps there's a need out there. Um, maybe there's a reason that that they they need that attention, and so from a kindness standpoint, maybe you can think of it in that way, Bob. Is that you know maybe they just need to feel important and need to feel better or need to have um, something bigger and better than other individuals. I don't know, um, but typically that would not be something from a genetic standpoint, more from environment. They learned it from someone or they decided to create those lies to due to their environment, making them feel less important and they needed to do something to feel more important. Not sure. Okay. To your question about schizophrenia, um, I mentioned that that is fairly highly heritable um, at about 0.8. And the same for bipolar disorder, about 0.8. It's highly heritable. So how do you tell if um, someone has schizophrenia versus another um, mental health disorder? There is a formal definition of schizophrenia in our Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. And off the top of my head, I can't go through all of it, but I will say that that typical, typically individuals with schizophrenia are at times um, out of touch with reality. Now, it doesn't have to be 100% of the time, but individuals who, who regularly are paranoid about things that they don't need to be paranoid about, that, that suspect people as um, 
being cloaked under some disguise when they really are not. Um, They're individuals who don't have realistic thinking out of touch with reality. Um, Like I said, it can be paranoia. It can be grandiose. But typically um, individuals who who are are not having appropriate thinking in reality. And so, um, you know, typically schizophrenia does, we don't see it in young children much at all. In fact, um, even with um, the genetic anticipation, we do know in families sometimes schizophrenia won't appear until an individual is in their even late 20s. But due to the heritability rate, if it's inherited over and over again, sometimes it can present earlier in life. So at 16, 15 um, years of age. Um, I, I truly think if a person is su- suspected of having um, schizophrenia, that they really should see a psychiatrist who's well-trained in the diagnosis and treatment of schizophrenia because it can be a very serious disorder, and it is treatable um, and and treatable much better than we used to be able to treat with medications that are less harmful and less cognitively blunting because um, than than our previous medicines. And I will say that um, that years ago, 20, 30, 30, 40 years ago, the medicines that were treated with schizophrenia for used to treat schizophrenia many times did cause such an incredible personality change that it it um, changed who that individual was. But not anymore. They're much better than they used to. So if you suspect someone of being out of touch with reality, paranoid when they shouldn't be, um, not able to be able to have a tangential, um, not not able to have a direct conversation and have tangential thought, then important to get that individual evaluated. Thanks for being with us on this interesting and complicated discussion about nurture versus nature, genetics versus environment, and and how we end up as we end up. I don't know, as we've talked through this, Abram, do you have any any last thoughts or comments on this one? Yeah, so I kind of always lean towards uh, that more of your personality is developed through nurture than nature. Mm. Um, And my personal experience with that would probably be that, like, you know, my brother and I are called, we're what's called Irish twins. We're Uh 11 months apart. Oh, wow. Um, You are. (laughs) Yeah. So he's older than me. Um, So when I was born, obviously I had to be you know, much more attached to my mom than, you know, my, my older brother did at one year old. Um, so he had to kind of like, my, my dad kind of had to take over him and my mom kind of mm. took over with me. Um, so we are, for the first 10 to 12 years of our lives, we were very different. 
um, we had very different personalities. My brother was very, uh, I guess, I guess much more testosterone driven. driven. He was, mm-hmm. he was, he was much more, he could get angry a lot faster than I would. And he'd express himself in different ways than I would. So I, I always kind of view that as, uh, as more of an evidence that it's, it's nurture to me than how I would view it as nature. Mm. That's interesting, and and yeah, I uh, I know we don't have time now to to get into the depths of that, but the birth order and the closeness of children in the birth order does seem to affect the way we are parented, and likely our outcome. And you just mentioned something that is very very interesting to me. And maybe we can explore this some more in the future. Is that that how men in general parent, um, particularly their sons, is very different than women parent their sons? And in general, and sorry, guys and gals, to make such a general comment, but it's true. In general, what what men do is expect their boys to be tough and to go after it hard and and to not be a quote crybaby and things such as that. Whereas in general, women tend to allow more of that to to expect if you fall and you hurt yourself that it's fine to cry. It's okay. And, oh, come here to mommy. And, you know, you you certainly, I think that's why so many times it's nice for kids in general to have a nice balance of men and women helping raise them in whatever way that is done. So so that they, they don't get... Um, too much, as you said, of the testosterone or too much of the estrogen. And, and I, again, I don't want to imply that I don't think that gay couples can effectively raise children. I know they can, and I've seen it happen in a beautiful manner. But you want to make sure that there's not that too much of a soft side versus a hard side. And I will say that some... Women are much tougher than some men I know, and vice versa. And so just to make sure that you have a balance is is important. But but I do, I think, as we've talked about, and I know I have like 30 seconds to say this, is that, you know, a person's biologic nature um, can, no question, be affected by their environment. So we just have to remember that as we're raising our kids. We have to remember that as we are participating in helping others raise their children. We have to remember that what we're born with is important, but it's not all important. And how we surround those developing human beings is all important. So thanks to everyone. Thank you to our interns, Jordan and Miriam, our call screener, Charles Arnold, and certainly to Abram Nanny, my producer. 
Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and support from listeners just like you. If you'd like to hear this podcast again or any of our past episodes, I hope you'll go listen to the podcast on your favorite app by searching Southern Remedy, Relatively Speaking. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.